Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and here's our part two of neuroendocrine tumors. And in part one, I spoke a lot about the functioning or hyperfunctioning neuroendocrine tumors, and now we'll speak a little bit about the non-functioning lesions. And as I mentioned, although they're quote-unquote non-functioning, they still may secrete pancreatic polypeptide or other hormones, but without clinical symptoms, as the hormones that are secreted may be not in enough value or not in enough amount to cause symptoms like an insulinoma or somatostenoma, for example. Again, mean age is in the mid-50s, slight female predominance. Most cases are sporadic, but uh, occasionally they will be seen with MEN1 and Vonopolindau syndromes. In terms of non-functioning pets, the majority are larger in that five to six centimeter range, but I will admit recently with better imaging, with better CT scanning, we are picking up many lesions in the one to two centimeter range. When lesions get larger, we typically see areas of necrosis and calcification. When they're smaller, they tend to be more homogeneous. They tend to be evenly distributed throughout the entire gland, and metastasis may be present in as much as 80% of cases at time of presentation. Now, I mentioned some of the syndromes, MEN1, parathyroid hyperplasia or adenomas, endocrine tumors of the pancreas or duodenum, and pituitary adenomas, and vonopolindau hemangioblastomas of the retina or CNS, clear cell renal cell carcinomas, pheochromocytomas, pancreatic serocyst adenomas, and neuroendocrine tumors. And it's more common to get a serocyst adenoma than a neuroendocrine tumor in the pancreas. Now, in terms of treatment, three-year survival is over 80% without metastasis and 56% with metastasis. Things that lead to a poor prognosis are size, vascular neural invasion, high mitotic rate, high KI67 index, necrosis, and chromosomal losses or gains. In truth, these days still, surgery is the only true curative approach, but not every patient is eligible for surgery, obviously. Uh, triotide for patients with liver metastasis is a first-line treatment. R ablation is being used more commonly, as is resection when there are limited numbers of lesions, chemoembolization when lesions are larger or hyperfunctioning, and there are new chemotherapeutic options that are coming along that are very exciting. This whole gene mapping uh, has led to some new therapies, and two of them have been approved by the FDA in the past six months, and there's several more on the way. We mentioned with neuroendocrine tumors, metastases like the primary tumor are very vascular. And here's a very nice example of hypervascular large metastases, which look very similar to the primary tumor. You'll notice in the primary tumor, there are also calcifications. Or in this example with multiple lesions within the liver, markedly hypervascular, they will wash out fairly quickly with uh, delayed phase imaging. And here's, again, look at the size of the tumor, look at its necrosis, vascular encasement, collaterals. And the tumor and the metastasis have very similar uh, vascular mapping, both on the volume rendering as well as on the MIP imaging, which you can see here nicely with the feeding vessels to the hepatic metastasis. And here you can see how the lesions wash out. So very, very impressive. With neuroendocrine tumors, they will commonly invade vascular structures, and unlike adenocarcinoma, which encases and narrows, these invade directly, kind of with a meniscus sign often by direct extension. So that indeed is very common, and you'll often see, as in this case, the portal vein really distended by the tumor that's in place. Again, widespread liver metastasis, calcifications are all something that will be common. 
Now, one thing we found in the last couple of years was that cystic neuroendocrine tumors do occur. Uh, it can be more commonly associated with MEN1, but it may just be the only presentation of that incidental lesion. They can be difficult to distinguish from other cystic neoplasms, particularly if you don't do arterial phase imaging. On venous phase imaging only, they look very much like an IPMN. You may see no ductilitation, that may be helpful, but they're very well defined. On arterial phase, they have an enhancing rim, and this is particularly true of the smaller lesions. And again, these are the ones that really can be cured when diagnosed early. Article by Satomi Kawamoto at Hopkins, serotonin produced by pancreatic neuroendocrine tumors can induce fibrosis and pancreatic duct obstruction. Pancreatic neuroendocrine tumors should be considered when CT shows a small hypervascular mass associated with upstream pancreatic duct dilatation or atrophy. So we've seen many of these smaller lesions. Arterial phase imaging, very obvious. Venous phase, you don't see them at all. Now, it's interesting when you talk about these cystic pancreatic lesions, and let me talk about them just a touch. Cystic islet cell is one of that differential diagnosis, including unusual things like lymphoepithelial cyst, more common things like IPMN or pancreatic pseudocyst. We also talk about differential diagnosis. When you see a cystic lesion, but it has a solid component, then you really have to think more toward malignancy, including islet cell, but MCN, if it's tail and cystic in a female in their 40s or 50s, SPN, solid and papillary epithelial neoplasms, typically patients under 25, and then again, adenocarcinoma occasionally, and islet cell. And just to show you examples, here's a wonderful example of a cystic islet cell. When you look at the early images, you could see what almost looks like a cystic lesion, but it does have rim enhancement. And when you look a bit more carefully, there's a regularity to the lesion. You can see the lobulations and the septations. This is more than simply a simple cyst or an MCN. You got to be thinking about a neuroendocrine tumor. And here it is again, very nicely shown, some perfusion changes. Interestingly, no duct dilatation. Distal gland is atrophic, but there's enhancement. And sometimes the cystic components are only part of the lesion. Sometimes they're the entire lesion. Here's an example where there's a large cystic component, but there's also a large solid component. Very vascular, very cystic. What else could this be? This could be a gist tumor of the duodenum. Could this be um, some sort of serous cyst adenoma or mucinous cystic neoplasm in the pancreas? I guess those are possibilities, but with that vascularity, I'm favoring a neuroendocrine tumor, but again, at times, I have been fooled by gastrointestinal stromal tumors. It can look very similar, and here's just a couple more images of that case. As I mentioned, the big ones like this are easy. It's this small one. Look at this case. First glance, you're going to say IPMN. Second glance, when you play around with the 3Ds, look at that enhancing rim. This was a neuroendocrine tumor. It was resected and proven. But again, look how subtle it is, unless I accentuate it with the 3D imaging. But very easy to miss, very easy to misread, particularly if you don't have arterial phase imaging. So let me look at a couple other things. What can simulate a neuroendocrine tumor on CT? I mentioned metastatic renal cell carcinoma to the pancreas. That's the one I typically think about for vascular lesions that look identical to neuroendocrine tumors. The difference is the patient typically has had a nephrectomy 10 to 15 years earlier for renal cell carcinoma. Occasionally splenules, occasionally serous cyst adenomas when there's a solid enhancing component, and occasionally aneurysms or pseudoaneurysms, particularly off the hepatic artery and splenic artery. I'll show you some examples. 
You look at this case, you see the left nephrectomy, but you don't see a mass present in the tail of the pancreas. But when I go to the arterial phase imaging, look how obvious that mass is. So this makes the point, just like with neuroendocrine tumors, metastasis from renal cell may only be seen with arterial phase imaging. So when you scan patients with renal cell carcinoma for follow-up, you must have arterial phase imaging. And here it is very nicely shown on the 3D map. Now, another thing I'll just mention to you is pancreatic metastasis. Uh, it's very uncommon. I mentioned renal cell carcinoma. That's the number one reason we see meds to the pancreas. But we will be seeing them more commonly as patients live longer. It's not surprising that you will see metastasis. And so I showed you a renal cell, but lung and breast and colon and melanoma and leiomyosarcomas are all possibilities as well. In this article by Palmowski looking at METS to the pancreas, they found the majority, 22 of 29, came from the kidney. So again, think about that. Now, when you look at characteristics, with metastases, they're typically solitary and well-defined, though occasionally they can be multiple or diffuse infiltration, but think solitary. Most metastases have some enhancement compared to adenoCA, which is typically hypodense. Vascular invasion is less common with metastasis and adenocarcinoma, and most cases of METs are typically asymptomatic, incidentally detected lesions as part of routine follow-up, which is unusual for pancreatic adenocarcinoma. So examples, look at this patient, right nephrectomy, multiple hypervascular lesions in the pancreas. So multiple lesions are very common. You can see the smaller one is perfectly homogeneous. The larger one is slightly irregular. Just very nice examples of metastasis. In this case, showing you the tail of the pancreas. And also to show you how easy it is to miss the lesion when you go simply to venous phase imaging. I mentioned pitfalls. We have an article coming out in press when you have splenosis, you look at the tail of the pancreas here, you say, aha, there's a mass present. But then you look and you watch how it enhances just like the spleen. So you better be thinking about splenosis. Now, you could be wrong, so you want to be very careful. Don't diagnose splenosis unless you're positive that it matches the spleen. You can always get a nuclear medicine study if you have uh, some doubt. But you can see these splenules can be large. Smaller ones, probably easier. You can separate them from the, from the pancreas but sometimes like this can be a really difficult diagnosis. Another thing, I mentioned vascular. Here's a great example. This patient was sent to us for a neuroendocrine tumor to get a distal pancreatectomy, and you see quickly what looks like a neuroendocrine tumor with maybe some calcification. When I did the 3D mapping to look better at the lesion, I noticed that actually what we were dealing with was a splenic artery aneurysm with had some rim-like calcification. So this patient did not have a... Uh, tumor of the tail of the pancreas, but a splenic artery aneurysm, very nicely shown here, and these multiple other images. So just a really nice example. Or this case where a patient was sent in for a neuroendocrine tumor also, but when you look at this, you see a hypodense zone around it, and when you start looking carefully, you're really dealing with a pseudoaneurysm, in this case off the GDA, and this patient did not have Whipple's procedure, but had embolization. So again, something to consider in the differential diagnosis. Now, I mentioned in differential diagnosis, we also speak about unusual tumors like SPEN or solid pseudopapillary neoplasms of the pancreas. We speak about these lesions. They're uncommon. 
is more common in women, but particularly young women. When diagnosed early enough, five-year survival is close to 100%. Occasionally, they will develop liver mets. 30% or so contain calcifications. They can occasionally bleed. And it's interesting, despite their size, duct dilatation, be it pancreatic or common, is indeed rare. Here's a nice example. Solid mass, homogeneous. Here it is in several projections. Could this be a cirrhosis adenoma? It could be. What really made this case sort of easy was the patient was in their young 20s. And when I see a solid mass in a patient who's in their 20s or younger, I'm thinking spend tumor. And you're going to get biopsy and usually get surgery. Again, very nice sequence of images showing the appearance. Another example, again, a solitary and papillary epithelial neoplasm, patients around 20, solid mass, as I said, no duct dilatation, fairly homogeneous, but you can see here it's not vascular at all, and there it's shown very nicely when we look at the uh, MIP imaging. You see how it splays the patient's uh, splenic artery and splenic vein, very nice visualization. Now, sometimes it's really difficult. Here's a case, mass in the pancreatic head with calcification. I thought of neuroendocrine tumor, but it wasn't very vascular. Could it be an adenocarcinoma? It could be. Could this be nodes? Could this be a duodenal mass? All are possibilities. I really didn't consider SPEN. It was a male. It was 36. And this came back, a solitary and papillary epithelial neoplasm. You can see in this case, there's almost no vascularity. So it's a very unusual case but again, spends do have a range of appearances. Now, we mentioned cirrhosis adenomas, and I just want to make a couple points. One is cirrhosis adenomas have a range of appearances. We talk about three types, from polycystic to honeycomb to oligocystic. Some are easy to diagnose, some are hard, and I'll show you the hard ones. We know that they can grow over time. It's more common with von Hippel-Lindau disease and more common in the pancreatic head. The polycystic pattern is the most common, and cysts measure 2 cm or smaller. It may occasionally have a central scar that calcifies, uh, and that's not uncommon. The honeycomb pattern is the second most common in about 20% of cases with numerous cysts under a centimeter in size. Uh, the numerous cysts can typically not be separated individually, and here's just one example. Look at the patient's pancreatic head. By the way, that was accessory spleen, the tail of the pancreas. What a great case. But you can see the cystic components, and often I find the cystic components are better seen on the venous phase imaging. You can see these lesions typically will splay vessels. So here it's splaying the GDA, splaying the hepatic artery, splaying part of the uh, celiac. Very nicely shown. And again, that cystic component is not purely cystic, looks almost cystic and solid, is a very good hallmark for serous cyst adenoma. But again, it can be a difficult diagnosis. I mentioned oligocystic is the least common, uh, commonly called macrocystic in the past. Uh, they can be very large, they can have hemorrhage, they can have solid components. Uh, again, very, very variable in terms of appearances. Uh, here's just a comment. Clinically significant proportion of all uh, of these serous cystic neoplasms were locally aggressive. Large tumor size and tumor location ahead of the pancreas were independent predictors of local aggressive behavior in patients undergoing resection. However, small tumors of the head of the pancreas are really aggressive. So, the thing you see in this case is, look at the tail of the pancreas. That's the mass. I read that as a neuroendocrine tumor, and I should. 
It's vascular. It's solid. Look at this sequence of images. That's what I really read it as. But again, you can be fooled. What else can fool you in this region? I mentioned a few of these things before. Things around the pancreas, duodenal carcinoma, gist tumors, nodes, lymphoma, lymphangioma, all can be tricky. This was a patient uh, where there's a vascular lesion, which I thought this was surely going to be a neuroendocrine tumor. Well, this was, in a sense, a neuroendocrine tumor. It was of the duodenum. This was a carcinoid tumor of the duodenum. Again, looks just like the pancreas, but it can be tricky. And here it is. You can see even location. looks like it's coming off the uncinate. So indeed, it can be very difficult. Diagnosis, treatment is the same, Whipple's procedure. But again, a very, very tricky uh, possibility. So hopefully what I've done is I've showed you a range of neuroendocrine tumors, the functioning or hyperfunctioning, the non-hyperfunctioning. I showed you some things that look like neuroendocrine tumors. I've talked about some of the challenges in terms of cystic neuroendocrine tumors. We spoke about technique, how arterial phase imaging is critical in lesion detection and classification. And again, proper scan protocols are critical. With the right protocols, you can diagnose these, these lesions correctly, even the small insulinomas in greater than 90 to 95% of cases. And with that, I thank you very much for your attention.